Welcome to Waking Up to Grace. I'm Lenny, and today we're going to be talking about the Lord's Prayer. Is the Lord's Prayer something that uh, that Jesus said uh, so that we would recite it? Something that he said to teach us how to pray in actuality and to really go by as a guidance for how to pray? Or is there a different message that he was sending when he when he said the the famous Lord's Prayer? And one side note is that uh, you know it's actually not even referred to as the Lord's Prayer in the Scripture. There's maybe some headings in different translations that refer to it as such. I know in the NIV version that I have, it just refers to it as prayer, and on the heading. But some headings, I'm sure, say Lord's Prayer. I know they do. And uh, but does the heading uh, was the heading originally part of scripture? No, it wasn't. And that can be very misleading. So we, we call it the Lord's Prayer because uh, we're so used to saying that and hearing it. But, uh, you know, was this uh, was this really the the prayer that we think it is and, and is supposed to be? So let's take a closer look at the Lord's Prayer, as we call it, and uh, see what might have actually been meant by that. And what we should take from it? Should we be reciting it uh, uh, religiously? Things like that. So, let's start by looking at Galatians chapter four. Um, in chapter four of Galatians, uh, in verse four, it says, "But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons." So He was born under law to redeem those under law. So keep that in mind um, in the context of, of what we're going to be looking at. And this was not the new covenant. This was still under law, and he came to redeem those under the law, but he had not done that yet. Uh, as we know, if we, if we study the new covenant and when it began, it began um, at the cross. And with the bloodshed on the cross was the marking of the new covenant when he when he rose uh, to give us life. That's that's when the new covenant began, according to scripture. And we we have information on that. And if you want to, you know, have a study guide to go through that, uh, you know, on a on your own, you can go to wakingupgrace.com uh, at our website and look at our study guides and uh, the new covenant teaching. What is new covenant teaching? Um that would be a good resource for that, but we're not going to get deep into the new covenant, uh, but the new covenant teaching is going to be all around this because it's the only way that you can understand the Lord's prayer in its proper context and everything else that was written in Matthew chapter five and six and so on. Um, but one thing I wanted to point out also to shed some context is um, just the fact of the the Holy Spirit and how it is what guides us to the truth and how it even guided the disciples to the truth. And um, so if we look at uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 31, it says, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. And then it says the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. And um, there's a reason why they didn't know what he was talking about. And it's mentioned in a, in a few places, and one of them is in John. It says, 
Uh, Jesus said, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So basically speaking, they, they really didn't have a clue how to put together all the pieces of what Jesus was telling them. They, they couldn't. And, but later on at Pentecost, when they received the Holy Spirit, they started reflecting back spiritually and looking back and remembering all the things that he had said. And obviously they wrote it down too, because we have the gospels. And um, so we have all these words written in red that we can look back on, but we have to be looking at them with spiritual eyes. We have to be careful to discern these things spiritually, not, not humanly from a human vantage point, because if we do so, we're going to lead ourselves into a ministry of condemnation. <laughs> that does not set anybody free. So let's let's dig in a little bit here uh, with some context being shed there. We're gonna we're gonna go into Matthew, but in order to understand the Lord's Prayer, it's better that we read a little bit more into Matthew than just the the part about the Lord's Prayer in chapter six. Um, so you know you. You start out, and at the very beginning of his weightier parts of this sermon, he starts out saying, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And so what hadn't been accomplished yet? His work on the cross, his resurrection, all these things uh, had not been accomplished yet. So the law was still in effect. And um, so he starts out letting, kind of giving them the point of the plot of it all, though, before he even started. I came to fulfill this. So if, if they had had spiritual clarity, they would have started out already being good to go, knowing that, okay, whatever he brings, I'm good because he fulfilled all of these things, but they didn't. And he knew that. So he could, he could say that all he wanted and they would have had no idea yet because without the spirit, they weren't going to understand. So what he does here instead is, is, is leading them to the treachery and the, the fullness, the full extent of the law, like on steroids, like magnified, you know, like, this is not just you in a regular mirror. This is you in a magnified mirror. So let's look at your sin magnified. Um, that's what Jesus is basically telling them. So let's, let's look at murder. You have heard that it was said to, to people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. Raka would be like a cuss word in those times and the way they were writing. But, but anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. And so that's in uh, you know, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus says, take on murder. He's telling you that if you're angry with your brother, you basically murder him in your mind. And uh, you, you're facing the, you're going to face judgment for that. So how many people out there are murderers? It's kind of hard to get around, isn't it? You know, I mean, I, I think you might be fooling yourself if you're saying you're not. And then he goes on to talk about adultery. This is how 
this is the severity of adultery under the law. If you're going to look at the heart of the law, you know, at its core, this is what adultery looks like. He said, you heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So, I mean, so if you look at uh, somebody lustfully, um, gouge out your eyes, the answer. You know, if you do something with your with your right hand, just cut it off because it's better, you know, that you do that than to to go into hell is what Jesus is telling you. This is severe. This is a severe teaching. This is <laughs> this is not the the peace bringing Jesus. But, he, you know, if, if you, you know, again, looking in context. So is he telling you to cut off your hand and gouge out your eye? I really hope that nobody's done this out there. But I'm I'm going to guess somewhere in the world somebody probably has. And there, this is not what he's telling you to do. This is him teaching, um, trying to teach them of hypocrisy and what it looks like, what the what it looks like uh, to to live up to the law to its full degree, what it would really look like, and if people were actually trying to do it, and if people were really going to be able to be righteous by these works, what it would look like. And, um, you know, he goes on to divorce and, you know, people have taken this the wrong way and, and, uh, you know, divorce has just become this thing that people just don't know if they'll ever get forgiven from. It's sad, you know, how it's been, uh, taught to Christians, you know, using passages like this, that you're, you're not going to be forgiven for these things, or, you know, you, you can't ever get married again because of what you've done. And, you know, that's, uh, let's look at it in context, because, you know, if somebody told you that, they ought to be missing their right arm and their right eye, if they're telling you this, because, you know, they, they've got a whole lot of work to do themselves before they're going to live up to what they're preaching to you. So, the about divorce, Jesus says, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. So, that would have been the standard, but I tell you, Anyone who divorces his wife except for a marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Boy, would that get messy. I mean, what a messy situation. How do you get around that? There's just, you're just looking around like, wow, what does it take to be righteous? This is crazy. So you could not even realize it and you're committing adultery because you married somebody that somebody else divorced. Then he gets into loving his en loving your enemies. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So the sun shines on all and the rain falls on all, right? If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing for more than others? So if we just love the people that love us, he's saying, you know, what good is that? That's normal. Do not even the pagans do that? And then he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. How are you doing on that so far? 
<laughs> be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I've heard a lot of takes on that passage. You know, I've heard said that, boy, is that a tough passage. That's one of the toughies. You know, we, we got to, we got to realize that we're just doing the best that we can. And, um, you know, God's, God's got to understand that he's just trying to teach us to, to have a, a good thing to strive for. He's just setting the bar high, you know, so people under grace, the people that have accepted the blood of Christ just have a, a harder standard to go off of. Don't we, we just got to work harder. No, that's not the gospel at all. That's not grace. That's that's putting everything, that's putting all of your works right in the place of grace. And that's just watering down the blood of Jesus to where it tastes like bad Kool-Aid. And uh, so let's not do that. Let's take it for what it really means, what he's really saying. He's teaching us that, you know, we are utterly sinful without him is what he's showing us here. That's what he's that's what he's doing. He's leading us to him. This is basically Jesus's way of evangelizing and they were going to come later with the, the spirit was going to come later and use these things that he said to wake them up and wake them up to the realization of how sinful they were and how much they needed the savior he's leading them to him that's what he's doing here it's it's okay we don't we don't have to feel like we have to be obedient to this he fulfilled this for us so that we can be free so that's the good news you know i I'm saying this early just so you don't have to be in too much distress if you've never heard the grace message. <laughs> so don't be in distress reading this. Read read it with spiritual eyes. Be the people that are reading it after the spirit came. Don't don't be trying to look at this with human eyes. It's it's you, you, all the religions do that. Every religion is teaching you to stop sinning to get right with God. Every religion out there, there's only one true thing that true faith that's different than all the religions and it's and it's christianity true christianity the blood of christ the forgiveness of sins forgiven as far as the east is from the west and cleansed and made perfect forever that's true christianity and that's what we have so that's why we can read this and we're and uh and we can actually come to peace with it because we've been saved from this this sermon we don't have to, you know, why would we want to go hear somebody preaching this to us right now as Christians? And that's what you hear out there. People say, oh, the church is all wrong. You know, we church needs to wake up. People need to get active. Some guy at the, at the front, you know, being arrogant and acting like everybody, if they were more like him, the church would be strong. Give me a break. That's just, just, just ridiculous. And that's what you got out there. And everybody feels bad and look up to this guy at the front because he's proclaiming himself to be so good. That's the, that's a Pharisee. That's not a teacher of the gospel. That's a Pharisee. And so giving to the needy says, be careful to do your acts of righteousness before men, uh, not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their full reward. And he's saying basically to, to do these things in secret. And then he says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. And this is uh, chapter six, verse five. And this is where we're getting into the, the Lord's prayer. We're getting close here. He says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. 
I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for the Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is then how you should pray. And so, you know, he's telling you to, to pray in secret, and then you'll get then your prayers will get answered. Do you think he's actually telling you that this is a rule that you have to follow? You have to go in the closet when you pray? He wasn't saying that. I can tell you that with certainty because the apostles were praying publicly. <laughs> and then we'll end the we'll end this with uh, Paul praying in Ephesians. And uh, he, he wasn't doing it behind a closet door and in secret because he understood this. He understood this message that Jesus was saying. <clears throat> and so here's how it says we should pray. How Jesus says this is how you should pray. And keep in mind again the context. He's, he's pointing out hypocrisy. So when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's very good. Of course, your will be done. Well, what? let's just stop there for a minute and think what hadn't been done yet. Of course, they should be praying for their will, to, for God's will to be done. They needed forgiveness. They needed grace. And they didn't have it yet. Give us today our daily bread. Whenever I think of that, I just think, well, who is the bread of life? He said it multiple times in the Gospels. The bread of life. I am the bread of life. <clears throat> that's not just daily bread. That's better. That's a bread that just lasts forever. When, 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 uh, yeah, his, his bread feeds you for good, good nourishment, fulfilling nourishment. So anyhow, then he says, uh, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Well, there again, what, let's take a close thought at that. Let's take a spiritual thought at that. Uh, where uh, have we been delivered from the evil one when we came to Christ? Have we been delivered from temptation? Have we been delivered from evil? I'd say when the blood of Christ was pretty capable of that. The devil has no place in our heart. He, When Christ gave us the new heart, put his spirit into it, and meshed our spirit with his, there's no room for Satan in there anymore. He cleaned house, and Satan's not coming in. The door is closed to Satan. We're sealed, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. So no devil. So he's telling them, you know, at most to pray for, for that to, to happen because that was what they were going to get. But that's honing in on the important part here. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So forgive us our sins as, as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Is that the gospel? Is that uh, the gospel that Jesus wants you to be thinking about when he was hanging on the cross uh, for your sins? That he wants you to be forgiving other people, otherwise you're not forgiven. Let's, let's read the part that they always leave out when we're reciting this prayer. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Have you ever not forgiven somebody? Have you ever gotten upset with somebody? Let's look back on the Lord's Prayer with the murder, with the adultery. <clears throat> are, are you going to be forgiven on this level? 
he is he telling you actually to pray this way as a Christian? Is this written to to the Christians to be praying this way? It most certainly is not a Christian prayer. He's pointing out hypocrisy here. This this whole thing that he's he's doing here is pointing out hypocrisy with a little blend of truth inside of there <clears throat> and some probably some prophecy absolutely about his kingdom come and his will being done. Jesus never intended for Christians to be praying this prayer. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind it's scripturally teaching that this is not something <clears throat> excuse me that we ought to be uh, reciting habitually and especially uh, you know over and over meaninglessly just uh, you know chanting it that would be silly what are we waiting for the new covenants here the the blood of Jesus has washed us clean he's rose again to give us new life and we're going to sit here and pray this old covenant prayer uh, that to, that he used to make us hypocrites, uh, to use to point out our hypocrisy. What are we saying when we recite this prayer? Are we just proclaiming our hypocrisy? What are we doing? This, I mean, let's just really think about this passage. And then right afterwards, he gets right back into it. He didn't just stop in the middle to teach everybody, this is how I want you to pray for the rest of your life. No. And then he gets into fasting. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that will not be obvious that you are fasting, but only to the Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So is he teaching you how to fast? I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I mean, fasting is is probably not something that a lot of Christians that are free in grace are really thinking that much about. You know, in the in the in the old times of the old covenant, you know, fasting would have been significant because they would have they would have been not eating, which would have meant not gathering. They would have been secluded off on their own because food and gathering was a big part of their society. So they would have been kind of meditating spiritually in those moments of fasting. And um, so, I mean, where are you, where is the significance of that today? I mean, you could certainly do it if you wanted to, that's great, but, uh, you know, don't start making rules out of these things. Even, even when he's telling you how to fast, how to pray, you can't, he's not, he's not teaching you that to make a rule out of it. That would be silly. He's teaching this to point out hypocrisy. <laughs> Uh, and, then, and then he goes on and he's, uh, do not judge others you know how would you like to be judged like this do not judge or you too will be judged for in the same way you judge others you will be judged with the measure you and with the measure you use it will be measured to you you ever sit around and start judging other people you know and thinking how it just seems to make you feel better you're 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 judging other people. You can sure get a, get a, everybody else's life right when you start going off on a rant and you don't you don't look at the log in your own eye, as Jesus said. You know you you're pointing out the speck in other people's eyes, and he says it uh, right here. He says, "How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own? You hypocrite! Again, hypocrisy." First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. 
So he's pointing out hypocrisy here. This is this is he's pointing out how ridiculous the Pharisees were and how ridiculous it is to try to live your life based on let's say the Ten Commandments or nine or eight or seven of them, however many you decide in your denomination. Like we're gonna we're gonna add the tithe, but take away the you know the worshiping of idols because you know we don't want to offend anybody that likes statues, and we're gonna just start creating denominations and divide the church based on rules and regulations and which ones we're gonna follow. This is this is not any way to be. That's just ridiculous. We need to we need to be led by the Spirit. Don't follow people who are teaching you rules and regulations and how to be right with God and, and by rules and regulations. And um, <clears throat> so, I mean, really, I think that kind of speaks volumes about it. I mean, you, we could end this, this passage or this, uh, this sermon with uh, the Lord, Lord passage, the famous one, if you want to work your way to righteousness, he kind of throws you under the bus here at the end of this sermon you know, for all the people that are self-righteous and are going to in the end times, uh, you know, judgment day, proclaim all their good works. He says, uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many. And what is the will of his father in heaven? Jesus tells us that. And, and uh, he says, they, they asked Jesus when they were following, they said, what can we do to do the works of God? And he said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who he sent. That's all you have to do to do the work of God. So the, but he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter, but only he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Only the people that really believe in him, that believe in the blood of the cross, that believe in his life, his resurrection. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And so basically proclaiming, look at all that we did, Lord. And then he says, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. He didn't say, yeah, I, I knew you, but you weren't good enough or you just weren't quite up to the up to the task you didn't follow those 10 commandments perfectly he says i never knew you to the people who are proclaiming their own righteousness i never knew you be careful proclaiming your own righteousness if you're a christian just turn away from that stuff repent as the scripture teaches repentance change your mind it's all god it's all god you can't any add anything to the gospel and you should never take anything away from it if you're a teacher, you should be teaching what is there. You should be teaching the gospel. You should be teaching the truth. Don't be making things up. You shouldn't be creating your own rules and regulations uh, just to get your people's ears open, preaching these ridiculous sermons that are full of dread and doom and guilt and empowering people to do good works in the name of guilt and doom. Uh, otherwise, you're doomed and you're out of fellowship we need grace. We need lots of grace. And this, you know, this message needs to be out there. People, people need to realize that there's a, there's another way. There's a better way. There's a narrow, there's a narrow gate. You know, you don't have to pass through this wide gate, uh, the wide gate ministries out there teaching works-based salvations. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. 
but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. And um, so should we be, su be surprised that there's just a mess out there? You know, when you when you look at mainstream Christianity, it's very messy. There's a <laughs> there's a lot of problems, you know, but, uh, you know, got to be led by the spirit. Yeah, so, you know, if you're hearing this, maybe you're hearing this for a reason. Maybe maybe God uh, God's timing is now maybe God's opening up your eyes maybe you already know the message and you're just being encouraged that there's somebody else you know that thinks the right way out there too with you and uh you're maybe you're low on on fellowship because there's just not that many people you know that that uh that believe things correctly and it's it's hard to find I know out here it is you know there you could go to church after church and try to find like-minded believers when you believe in grace and you don't put anything in its place you're going to have problems trying to find friends out there and uh but that's okay cuz the true church is is in Christ and you never leave and uh there's certainly fellowship to be had and God is a God has blessed us I know Melissa and I have been blessed with people coming into our lives and being being saved and coming to salvation and the peace of God and it's, 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 it's amazing. And it's been an amazing year this year. And there's just been a lot of amazing things. And, uh, years, years ago, you know, when we came to the faith, uh, we, we kind of just, uh, you know, just envisioned doing a, a ministry of some sort. And, uh, we we're we're now doing it. We're newer, you know, if, if you haven't uh, been on the show, we're, we're getting started, but we've been believing for a long time. We're just starting to, to have fun. And God called us to this. I, I knew it was coming. I could feel it. And, uh, now he's, now he's moving with it. And, you know, I, I hope that some people out there get some enjoyment. I know we're not going to be the most popular show, and that's not the point, you know, the point is to, to share it with those who have the ears to hear and rejoice. And we hope some more people come along and join us and, you know, and we can make this a, a thing, you know, we, this message needs to get out there. And uh, the truth is that uh, what we want to, what we would like to see, and we, we feel the Lord is backing us is more of this, you know, there, there's some other teachers out there teaching some good stuff too. And uh, this, this needs to be out there next uh you know <laughs> you need to see it you know when you're when you're scrolling through this legalism so that so that some some more people that are just uh just waiting to be saved can hear the good news and uh god's just waiting for the right time and i hope maybe for you it's today so i hope you enjoyed the show today and uh join us for another one soon thanks a lot and god bless you <laughs>